I love it every single Sunday, singing with you and exalting the name of Jesus. I'm glad we get to do that together. So uh, good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you guys uh, today. As always, if you have your Bible, you can take it now and open it up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Um, As you're turning there, I just want to reiterate what Rob said earlier, and that is uh, we are so glad that you're here today. Um, If you're new with us today or if you're a longtime UBC member or somewhere in between, we're glad that you're here If you are in this room with us or listening online or over in the overflow area, uh, we are glad that you are here. Um, And let me just say this, whether you're a committed Christian, a total skeptic towards Christianity, or maybe starting to seek what is true, I just want to say to you as well, we're really glad that you're here. So thank you for joining us today. I want to start out today by asking you a question, and this question is this, have you ever been in the gym And seen some, actually, I just started out that question saying, have you ever been in the gym? And some people are like, no, right? (laughs) All right. Have you ever been in the gym and you've seen somebody put too much weight on some machine or some bar and they tried to lift it, but then they couldn't do it, right? Those those moments are hilarious. Uh, Maybe you've been that person. I have to say, uh, I have been that guy. Um, Years ago, I was in the gym one day and, you know, I'm working out and I'm feeling pretty good. And, uh, I start to try to max out my bench press. I'm like, all right, I'm going for it today. And I put so much weight on and I go to try to lift it and I get it like a few inches up. And then all of a sudden I couldn't, you know, couldn't like lift it all the way. And uh, boom, the bar comes back on my chest. And guys, I'm literally in there in the gym just looking around like, who's seeing this? Right? Uh, is anybody seeing this? Because I need a little help right now. And this big guy walks over, you know, and he's all Hulk Hogan. And he's like, uh, been there, brother. And he just like... Sticks out one little finger and it's like, whoop, lifts my weight, right? So yeah, it was my fault for putting too much weight on the bar for sure. Um, But here's the thing. If someone didn't come help me, I was totally stuck there, right? I needed someone to come help and bear my burden. Now today, uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, which teaches us about bearing one another's burdens. Um, You might have heard that phrase before, we need to bear one another's burdens. I'm sure you have. Most of the time, we probably think of bearing one another's burdens as just kind of this call for one Christian to help another person out when they're in need, kind of in general. But here's the thing. What I want you to say, what I want you to see today is that in Galatians, bearing burdens is not just kind of used in reference to helping each other through struggles in general. Bearing one another's burdens is actually used in reference to helping each other deal with sin in particular. You're joining us today on our third week of this sermon series called Connected. And today we're going to be talking about helping each other bear the burden of sin. In this sermon series, we've really been emphasizing our belief in the importance of Christian relationships, right? We have said that we, we don't want to be people who just go to church religiously. We want to be a, a people who are the church relationally because we said everyone needs someone who's helping them wholeheartedly follow Jesus and we we believe that we do that better together than we do apart so let's recap what we've covered in our sermon series so far in week one of this series two weeks ago I preached from Ephesians chapter one and two on how we do church life better together and we saw how the church is a body a temple and a family And we saw how those realities of the church present God's interdependent design for his people to be connected to one another. So we do church life better together. 
Last week, we learned about how we grow in Christ better together. Bryson preached on Ephesians chapter 4 last week, which, by the way, kudos to Bryson. First time preaching in our church. Let's give him a little encouragement. Thought he did a great job. Um, Bryson did a great job of presenting to us from Ephesians chapter 4 um, how the church really helps us show our unity. The church helps us know the Lord. The church helps us walk in truth. And each of those aspects of church life together really aids us in the process of growing to be more like Jesus. And so we do church life better together. We do growth in Christ better together. And that's what we've covered so far. Today, I want to continue to dive deeper into that idea of doing church life better together, of growing in Christ better together. And I want to talk to you today about how we do the fight against sin better together. How we do the fight against sin better together. Because the truth is, we can all admit this right from the start, we all bring sin struggles into this room, right? Every one of us brings a struggle with sin in this room. You may have one sin in your life right now that really kind of stands out above the rest. It's something you're really dealing with. You might have a laundry list of sins. You're like, all right, you know, let me, you may have a long list of things you know you're dealing with. Some of you may have really made a mistake very recently, and it's on your mind. Maybe you really did something last night that, right, you bring it in to church this morning and it's really grabbing you in the heart. Maybe some of you have had a long-standing issue with some struggle in your life, some sin. If that's you, let me just say this, you fit right in. (laughs) Because everybody in this church, like, we are all sinners. There are no perfect people here. In fact, there's there's a whole lot of imperfect people who, by God's grace, have met a perfect Savior. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. We are being changed by him day by day, moment by moment, year by year. We're being changed by him. And one of his graces in our life is that he's given us the church to help us fight against our sin together along the way. We do our fight against sin better together. That's what I want to talk to you about today from Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. As we look at verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the who the how and the why uh, of fighting our sin. Then you're going to see another powerful video from some people in our church who really have found help in fighting sin through their community of friends in the church. And I hope that you believe, leave here today believing that one simple point, that we really do fight our sin better together. Now, before we get too far into Galatians chapter 6, like always, I just want to remind us, like, every text has a context And in order to properly understand and apply a text, we do need to understand the big context of what's going on in that passage of Scripture. So let's remember the context of the book of Galatians. In this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in the region of Galatia. He writes to them in the first two chapters of his book, of his letter, they are basically about um, where the gospel came from. He emphasized that the gospel was the message from God, not man. In chapters three and four, he wrote about what the gospel is, that it's the good news that sinners like you and I can be forgiven of our sin through Jesus, not by religious works, not by practicing historic Christian traditions, uh, none of those types of things, but that our forgiveness of our sin comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's chapters three and four. And then when he gets into chapters five and six, He moves from where the gospel came from, he moves from what the gospel is, and he starts to get into how the gospel works. 
And he starts to talk about how it really gives us freedom in our life. Um, he, he talks about how it frees us from selfishness into service for others. He talks about how it frees us uh, from life in the flesh. According now, now we start to have life in the Holy Spirit, right? So that's the context that leads up to chapter 6, our text for today. So with that in mind, let's look at Galatians chapter 6. We're going to start right here in verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes and he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So right away, I want you to see that he's writing to the church to help them learn how to address issues pertaining to sin. He's writing to them about transgressions. He's dealing with temptations. He's writing to them about how to deal with sin. These are the burdens that he's talking about, burdens of sin. So before we get too far into this message, it's always important to define our terms. And there's a couple key terms that you need to understand here, or else this passage can be easily misinterpreted and misapplied. So Paul, in our text, he talks about transgressions. Transgressions is a key term. We talk about sin in the world. We talk about sin in our own lives. A lot of times people don't necessarily uh, fully grasp sin. In one sense, sin is like a disease. It affects all of mankind and every part of our life. It affects our world. It's brokenness in which we live. That's sin. And then on the other hand, there's a more personal side of sin. Like we commit sins, right? We actually take actions that are an offense to God. And those actions where we step out of line, where we cross over past God's boundaries, that's what the scripture means when it says transgressions. To transgress means to cross over something or to step past something. So that's what we're talking about with somebody who, um, you know, uh, transgresses. Imagine like a runner that's running and they, they need to stay in their lane on the track. Well, if they cross over into somebody else's lane, that can be a problem. Imagine somebody who's hiking in the woods. They've got a path to follow. If they get off the path, it can cause trouble. So to transgress means to cross over a line or to get off track. That's the first term we need to understand. In our text also, Paul uses the word caught. He says, brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression. Now, when he says caught, it, it, what he doesn't mean is he doesn't mean, hey, you got found out, you got caught, like with your hand in the cookie jar, or like with me trying to sneak a couple bites of dinner in before my wife has served it on the table, right? All the men, we understand what it means to get caught that way, right? That's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul means when he says caught, he means to get caught like in a snare or to be trapped by something or just kind of get entangled. Like a, like a runner who gets out of his lane, bumps into other people, and before you know it, you've got a little people entanglement, maybe even a crash. Like a hiker who goes off trail, decides he wants to go exploring, but gets caught in like thorns and thickets and, and things like that. That's what he means. So Paul, when he talks about being caught, Paul certainly isn't speaking about people who got found out in their sin, all right? And he and definitely isn't telling us as Christians to be people who are trying to catch others in their sin, right? We're, we're not the sin police. We're not out on witch hunts. Paul is saying, you know, people who, have, who are caught in sin, they have, they have crossed the line of sin, and now they find themselves entangled and stuck in their mess, all right? 
And what they need is they need help getting out of that trap. So with that in mind, let's talk about our first point. Let's talk about the who of fighting sin. You know who the who is of fighting sin? It's all of us. The who of fighting sin is all of us. In our passage, we're going to see that we are to help each other out through our sin issues. It's going to become very obvious to us as we look at these verses. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Know how it starts out by saying brothers, right? So Paul is is saying, hey, fellow believers, brothers in Christ, people who are part of the family of God, I'm talking to you, right? He's talking to them when it comes to helping people through the entanglements of sin. In fact, he says to them, uh, you who are spiritual should help restore one another. So when he says you who are spiritual, let me just make clear that we all understand what that means. When Paul says you who are spiritual, um, what he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean like, hey, there are some Christians who are spiritual and then others who aren't. What he means is those of you who have the Holy Spirit are to help each other out. Remember, we just, you know, he's in Galatians 6, but coming right out of Galatians 5, Paul had just been writing to them about this whole idea of life in the Holy Spirit fruit of the Spirit versus a lifestyle of the flesh. And now he's saying, look, um, you who have the Holy Spirit, you who are spiritual in that sense, then you are the ones who are to help restore somebody when they are caught in a transgression. So who does this? We do. That's the us. That's why he says what he does in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right, that one another language, that's, that's not individualistic language. That's not just kind of, hey, deal with your sin personally, keep it to yourself. No, he's saying, look, when it comes to your sin, this is a group project. This is together language. It's like teamwork, right? Striving together. Paul tells us to, with one another, bear each other's burdens. So the word burden there, again, like I mentioned before, it's, it's, it's like a heavy weight, that you can't lift on your own. It's difficult to carry. You need assistance. It's like me being trapped underneath the weights of the, you know, of the barbell, right? You need someone to come help bear the burden and get you out from it. So church family, we are called to help each other bear the burdens of sin. When people find themselves trapped in a sin and they need help, like we are the ones who are called to come alongside them. When somebody who's really you know, battling materialism, and they, are, they have made a mess of their life by overspending, and, and now they're convicted by the Holy Spirit about that, but they are caught in that sin, and now they have a mountain of debt they need to get out of. What do we do? We don't just disregard that person. We walk alongside them. We help them out. We help them learn how to steward their finances for the glory of God and start to get back on the right path. When somebody um, when is, is, has come to the point when they are caught in a a sexual sin, premarital sex, pornography. They f- suddenly find themselves um, pregnant before they're married. Right? We don't just say, stay away from us. Right? We walk alongside them and help them fight for purity. Right? We, when somebody has addictions in their lives and substance abuse is a real thing for them, like we come alongside and say, we are the community of people that will help you find healing. When people in our congregation... People in the church are struggling with marriage issues and parenting issues. They don't need to do that on their own, apart from the church. Like, God raises up people in the church to walk alongside one another. So, when another believer needs help getting out of the trap of sin, we are to help them. That's the who 
of fighting sin. It's us. It's the church. Now, let's move from the who to the how. How are we to help each other fight sin? The how is this. We are to do so gently, humbly, and restoratively. Gently, humbly, and restoratively. We're going to go back in verse 1. We're going to see where these points start to stand out. We're going to see that our call is to help each other fight sin gently. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Right? Gentleness. It's, it's this idea of having a spirit of empathy and compassion. You start to feel something so deeply that you want to take action to help change the situation. Right? That's this feeling of gentleness and compassion. So quick little story about this. So Rob Slothman mentioned football about 15 times in his announcements. All right, so here we're about to get into football season, and it triggered a memory for me. Years ago, um, you know, it's college football season. I was watching a college football game with my son Gideon, and uh, it's University of Michigan versus Penn State. And uh, Michigan, of course, me being a Michigan fan, Michigan's just running up the score. I mean, they are just dominating Penn State, right? And, uh, and I'm pumped, and I'm just like cheering over and over again and getting excited. And like my son Gideon looks at me, and he says, Dad, can you please stop cheering so much? I'm feeling kind of bad for Penn State, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. So that's my son's uh, spirit of gentleness, right? He's got this empathy. He's got this compassion. He felt their pain so deeply that he needed to help his dad walk out of his, whatever his dad was dealing with right then, right? Michigan pride, okay, right there. I needed help with that sin. So here's the thing. When we fall into sin ourselves, we need people to walk alongside us gently. When other people that we know fall into sin, we need to walk alongside them gently. We don't need to come against people who are already convicted of their sin and they want out of the trap. We don't come come against them. We walk with them. We deal with sin not really by like taking a chainsaw to it, but more like a surgeon's scalpel, you know? It's gentle. It's you know, that's how we walk alongside. Gentleness doesn't mean that we just kind of walk around acting like sin is okay, right? Sin is not okay. If sin was okay, Jesus would not have had to die for it, right? So we don't act like sin is okay. When brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling in their sin, we don't tell them that their actions are okay. They're not okay. But here's what we do. It means we come alongside, we speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean we avoid ever hurting anybody's feelings because what's the biblical principle? Wounds from a friend can be trusted, Proverbs says, that we speak the truth in love to one another as we grow in Christ. So, you know, we we come alongside with the intent to help, not to hurt. We come alongside, we walk in humility and tenderness. And here's the thing, like, we need to remember that when somebody is caught in a trap of sin and they've come and they've confessed, like, they're already probably ashamed. They're already probably wondering, am I ever going to be able to get out of this? What sort of damage have I done? There's no need to rub salt in the wound at that point. We need to point them to Jesus who helps heal the wound. 
So when someone is there, they don't need harshness, they need gentleness. And you know what will help us walk alongside each other, you know, when we're in sin? You know what will help us do that with gentleness? It's remembering the truth that we could just as easily and quickly be right where they are. That will keep us humble. And that's why Paul says what he says in verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Boy, oh boy, don't ever, uh, don't ever start to believe that you are spiritually mature enough to be invincible to certain temptations. We are all far more capable of falling into sin than we would like to have to admit. We can get off track just as easily as anybody else in our church. That's why Paul would write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, and he says, let he who thinks he stands take heed, lest he what? Fall. Lest he fall. Therefore, we keep watch on ourselves, right? So that's what Paul gets into when he talks about verse, what, he, what he says in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, right? So Paul is calling the church to walk alongside each other in the fight of sin. He says, I want you, I want you to walk humbly. He's attacking the pride of self-righteousness that can arise in our hearts whenever we're dealing with sin. You know, remember... Um, Remember Jesus and his uh, disciples in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus was about to be crucified, right? And he tells his disciples, he says, you know what? Um, some of you, there's, there's one of you here who's going to betray me. And what does Peter do? He stands and he says, Lord, even if all these others deny you, you know, I never will. And before the rooster crows the next morning, Peter does it three times, right? Peter has become overconfident and self-righteous in that way. And so what is the the normal way that self-righteousness arises within us? Here's how self-righteousness arises within us. It's because we start to compare ourselves with other people. And that's what Paul's thinking about when he writes verse four. In verse four, he says this. He says, but let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Each will have to bear his own load. Okay, like, wait a minute. Seems a little contradictory to what Paul said. Like a minute ago, he says, bear one another's burden. Now he's saying, each one bear your own load. Like what's going on there? I think what we need to remember is that now Paul is not addressing the person who's confessed and admits that they're entangled in sin. Now he's addressing the person who has become spiritually conceited. His point right now is that he's saying, look, you need to be careful if you find yourself kind of... Uh, you know, starting to boast based off how your life compares to somebody else's life. His point is that we are not graded, so to speak, in life by everybody else's performance. In other words, in God's eyes, we're not graded on a curve, right? Teachers grade on a curve sometimes. What do they do? They grade on the curve. It's kind of nice for the student because then you get judged based off of everybody else's performance. As long as you do better than them, like you kind of feel okay about yourself. But here's the truth. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't grade on a curve. Your standing, my standing in his eyes is not based on how everybody else is doing. Because the truth is, if that's the way we live, just comparing ourselves to how everybody else is doing, then man, we are prone. One of the effects of that is we are going to become filled with self-righteousness. Because boy, oh boy, isn't it easy to become self-righteous when 
other people just kind of sin differently than you do. We judge ourselves that way. We can feel pretty good about ourselves when we compare ourselves to other people sometimes. We can become like the Pharisee that Jesus spoke about when he says, uh, the Pharisee got up in the public square to pray, and what was his prayer? Thank you, God, for not making me like the rest of these sinners. When Jesus says, no, you should be more like, not the Pharisee, but the tax collector who went to pray, and he could barely lift his head. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we live our lives comparing our sins to everybody else's sins, we can get prone to becoming very, very self-righteous. But when we start to compare ourselves to God's perfect standard, Jesus, then we realize how short we really do fall. And that keeps us humble. That keeps us humble. So when we're walking alongside other people in their own sinfulness, we need to be gentle, humble in helping people with their sins that they're struggling with. And part of being gentle and humble will lead us to also work through sin this way, not just gently, not just humbly. We will want to work with people restoratively through their sin. Back in verse 1 again, Paul says this. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So to restore someone means to help someone who is broken find healing and wholeness again, right? It means to, to take what is broken and help it like improve and correct and become in a heal, healed and whole place. So the point, guys, is this. When we are dealing with sin in the church, the point, the ultimate goal of dealing with sin in the church is not really for removal. It's for restoration. Dealing with sin in the church, sometimes we have to practice church discipline. Sometimes we do have to remove a sinful brother or sister from among us. But that's not our first target. That's not our ideal target. That's not why we hold each other accountable and sometimes have to walk through the process of church discipline. It's because ideally we want to see people restored, not removed. We who are spiritual, those of us who have the Holy Spirit, we walk through this with somebody in a spirit of gentleness, shooting for restoration, healing from brokenness. Anybody in this room ever broken a bone? Anybody? Broke a bone? All right, that's like a third of you. Oh, so for me, uh, I remember the first time I ever broke a bone. Guys, I was four years old. Guess how I broke my first bone in my life? I was running in church. Oh, boy. And in my little conservative Baptist church with all the ushers in the hallway, they tried to tell me my whole life, boy, don't run in church, right? Here I am running in church. Guess what I was doing running in church? I was chasing after a girl. Her name was Becky Cooper. And uh, didn't really work out, you know. So <laughs> chasing after her, and I ran off a stage and just fell down, broke my leg. Right? So people in church, um, I, I was broken, right? In that moment, broke my leg. What happened? People in the church had to gather around me, helped me deal with my tears, the foolishness of my own mistake. They ended up having to get me to a doctor. The doctor put me in a cast, you know, Ultimately, for what? So that I could become healed. Um, listen, when you are living in the brokenness of sin, you need others to help you heal. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's something healing about finally opening up, confessing sins that you've held on to in your life, the things that you've helped, you've kept hidden in the closet your whole life. You start to open up and confess. There's something healing about that. There is this sin-killing, bond-breaking, soul-healing work of God that happens when we start to be humble enough to confess our sins and ask trusted brothers and sisters in Christ for help. And when other brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside us and they walk with us and they point us to Jesus and they help us remember the gospel, that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus already knew every one of those sins when he died on the cross, so we don't need to live in guilt and shame when Jesus is already addressed and paid for, there's something freeing about that for us. People who help us pursue Christian living, there's something healing there. I am so grateful for people in the church body that have helped me through my struggles in life. Through the men who walk with me for accountability, for the people in the body of Christ who have helped Rachel and I in the days when our marriage was difficult. Various struggles all through life. We need the body of Christ to walk with us and help us. When we are broken in sin, God gives us the wonderful gift of the church to help us heal. So the how of fighting sin, how do we help each other deal with sin? We help each other gently, humbly, and restoratively. But here's the big question. Why would we ever do it? Why would we really come to fight sin in the first place? Why would we ever open up and become vulnerable enough to try to put this sin to death and experience a change? Here's the why of fighting sin. The why of fighting sin is Jesus. Jesus is the motivating center of our effort to pursue holiness and fight against sin. You know, in Galatians 6.2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens, right? You, you come alongside, helping each other carry the weight of sin, get out from under that trap, you do that, why? To so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ is? The law of Christ is the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. In fact, if you just look back uh, in chapter 5, verse 14 of Galatians, Paul reminds the church that Jesus called them to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were struggling and you would want people to help you through your struggle, then, man, love your neighbor and help your brother or sister in Christ through their struggle. The law of Christ is the law of love. So when we are called to love one another and we are loving one another, then we're going to help each other in the fight against sin. So this church, right, our church, but the church of Christ as a whole and our church in particular is to be this burden-bearing, sin-fighting Jesus-focusing community of love, right? When a brother or sister is caught in sin, then we bear the burden with them in love. If a brother or sister in Christ is hooked in addiction, we bear the burden with them in love. If they're stuck in bitterness, we bear the burden with them in love till they are able to find forgiveness. When they're trapped in pornography, we bear the burden with them in love as they pursue purity. If they are caught in people-pleasing, we help them bear the burden and help them 
rest secure in their identity in Christ. Guys, why would we do this? Why would we? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes emotional investment. It takes a whole lot of days struggling alongside a brother or sister in Christ. Why would we ever do that for someone else? Here's why. Because Jesus bore the burden of sin for us. Hebrews 9, 28, Jesus was offered once to bear the sins of many. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The why of fighting sin together is Jesus. Jesus loved us like that, and now he calls us to love one another as he's loved us, right? The why of fighting sin this way is Jesus. So, guys, today, my prayer, my hope is to use these little 30 to 40 minutes that I have from the stage today to compel you to believe God's word, to believe God's word. One simple point that we do our fight against sin better together. The who of fighting sin is us. The how of fighting sin, humbly, gently, restoratively. The why of fighting sin, because of Jesus. And let me say this, It's because of Jesus that our fight against sin is not a losing battle. In Christ, there is victory. There is victory over sin in Jesus. There is grace when you fail in Jesus. There is power for the fight in Jesus. And there are people fighting with you in the church because of Jesus. We do our fight against sin better together. Two takeaways for you today. Two takeaways for you. First one. Number one, if you want victory over the sin in your life, first of all, you need Jesus. This is about as simple as it gets, but we're talking about having victory over sin. You know who can't give you victory over sin? You. You have no power to change your own heart. You have no power to open your blind eyes. You have no power to transform yourself from any degree of righteousness to another when it comes to being conformed to being in the image of Jesus. It starts with Jesus working in you. You need a power greater than yourself, but it's not some vague higher power that you make up. You need Jesus Christ in particular. And let me tell you this. You can have him. You can have him. Jesus is yours for the taking. You can invite him into your life at the same time he brings you into his life. And there's this wonderful experience of life in Christ that starts to occur. If you repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you, and you believe in Jesus who died on the cross in your place for your sins, and that God raised him up from the dead three days later, overcoming sin in the grave, then that Jesus comes to live within you through the Holy Spirit. And over time, day by day, you'll see change. You'll see transformation. You'll start to see victory. If you want victory over sin, you need Jesus. So if you've never had a moment in your life where you've repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and invited him into your life to be your savior, that's your first step today. And if you ask him to be into your life, he will come. And he'll change you from the inside out. Second takeaway is this. If you have Jesus, then you have his church. So fight sin with his church. If you have Jesus, then you have his church. So fight sin with his church. 
Not only do you have Jesus living in you as a Christian, you have the church living with you in community. And the church, I love the church. I'm so, thank the Lord for the local church. Thank you, Lord, for the universal church. I am so grateful for the church. The church is such a wonderful gift from the Lord. And part of what he's done in the church is that he has given us brothers in the battle, sisters in the struggle, right? Family in the fight together. And this is one of the benefits of living out your connected identity, right? Is, is that when you're connected with closely with other brothers or sisters in Christ, when you're connected in community, then loving Jesus and fighting sin, it's just, it becomes normal. It's one of the beauties of being in a group together. You commit to meeting, praying, walking alongside each other, investing in each other's lives. And over time, as you're helping each other become more like Jesus, you're helping each other kill sin. It's the... I hope that our groups in our church are doing that. So if you're, not, if you're a group leader, I hope that you will lead your group towards vulnerability and honesty and creating environments within your group where you can really truly share sin and not hide out behind Bible study and not just kind of make small talk about silly things, but you actually start to put to death the sin in your life that Jesus died for. And I think that's what we're really, I think sometimes part of what makes people reluctant to join a group within the church is that our groups are just kind of superficial. We want something real. We want something authentic. We want something transparent. So I hope that you can all join a group that way. Group leaders, I hope you will guide your groups that way. Because listen, every true Christian in this room is in the fight against sin. The, the question isn't, are you fighting sin? Because let me say it this way. If you're saved, you'll be fighting sin. If, if you say you're saved, but you really don't care about sin in your life, I would say to you, you need to check your heart and make sure you're actually born again. Because a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit is not just going to become comfortable and fine living in the sin that Jesus died for at the cross. So if you are a true Christian, the question is not, are you fighting sin? The question is, who are you going to fight sin with? Today I want you to hear from a couple people in our church who have found friends in the fight. You guys may remember Josh and Sophie um, their video testimonies from our brand new sermon series back in March and April. The Lord changed them in such wonderful ways. And like it goes with every video, we don't always have time to put the full story up on the screen. So we brought back parts of their story to share today. And the parts of their story today really emphasize how they found help fighting their sin through the community of the church. Check out their video. Uh, yeah, so I was raised in a uh, Christian home. Um, my mom and my dad uh, raised me with Christian values. So I grew up in a Christian home doing all the church activities, but I can't say I was super invested. I really started falling away when I was like 13. So anything they told me that was good and true, I did the opposite. I had so much unconfessed sin in my life 
that it makes sense why I didn't get it. Because there's this huge barrier of idols and secret sin that I was just getting blocked by constantly. I ran into some old friends who were believers, true believers, and their attitude just showing love and having hope and having like fun changed my perspective. Because up to that point, I would wear this like cloak of perfection and would like be like, I don't know why I still feel the way I feel. And so a couple of these friends kept pouring into me and sharing the gospel. I just remember saying, God, I, I don't know what to do. I am totally helpless. I am broken. I am hurt, but I need you. And I trust that you are home. Although my heart changed, um, my actions wasn't following. And so I was like reading my Bible every day and I had a good friend of mine who would call me out. I would get drunk or hung over and he would be like, well, why are you doing that? Through that whole process, I just started getting sober, more sober and more sober, giving one thing up and then the next thing up and then the next thing up. And I can remember that joy of like being clean, feeling like God can really change, change me uh, and change my heart and my outlook on life. Now I am confronted with all my sin that I have never confessed. And it was overwhelming to say the least. The next day I call my mom and dad and all of a sudden I am overwhelmed and I just start crying and I come clean about the way I had been living. And the next day, I'm still, you know, I'm still wrestling with shame about all that had happened. My dad called me and he said, Sophie, I do not look at you differently. You are my daughter and I love you. And I just knew that is God's grace for me through my dad. And that just propelled me forward. That's when it really sank in that I am so loved and God has shown me grace, will show me grace. You know, I'm done trying to do everything on my own. I can't do it alone. I have to have other believers in my life and I have to be able to bring to light what I keep in the darkness. Through Jesus, it's like my parents, me and my parents' relationship is a lot better, which is their authority in my life. And he definitely have given me a stronger group of friends, which is hands down the, the best. Having that accountability kind of like keeps me on the straight and narrow. I have one learned the grace and protection of repentance, you know, between me and the Lord and then the grace and protection of confession between me and another believer. Satan wants us to think we are alone, and that is so not true. Um, I have found so many people who have the same struggles as me and want to see Christ healing with the growth group. We all really value the vulnerability we can all bring to the table, and there's healing there. I love how she said that. There's healing there. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you can be what? Healed. There's healing there. Guys, um, Sophie's story, she came to that point where she said,
uh, I am so done doing this alone. <laughs> um, Josh talked about that joy that comes with confession and getting sin issues out in the open. And guys, I just, I hope that casts a vision for you for what the church can be. Right? You need friends in the fight. That's who you need. You've got Jesus in you. You need the church with you. If you're not connected to another believer where you really keep it real and transparent about the honest issues of your life, you need to be. And we, we want to be a church that helps you take that step. So let me just tell you, um, next Sunday, at the end of our service, you're going to have a very specific opportunity to respond. We've been talking in this whole series about the importance of being connected, how we do life better together that way. You're going to have an opportunity next week to get connected to a group, to a relationship in our church, and we want to help you take that step. So that opportunity is coming next Sunday. Here's what I want to ask you to do this Sunday. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. I just want you to open up your heart and say, Lord, are you speaking to me about the need to get connected? Are you speaking to me about the need to have a real friend in my life who helps me pursue holiness gently, humbly, restoratively, helping me pursue holiness and deal with my sin? You know, the Lord may be calling some of you to connect in a group or with some fellow believers. Maybe the Lord will call some of you to connect for the first time. You've really lived kind of an isolated Christian life. Now it's time to step into community. Some of you, the Lord may call you to reconnect with a group that you have intentionally disengaged from. But if you're here today and, and you're feeling this weight of sin, and it feels like a 400-pound weight on your heart that you cannot lift on your own, then you have Jesus, and you have the church, and part of the church is to help you bear the burden as you walk toward restoration. So if he's called you connect, do so, because we do better together. We do church life better together. We do growth in Christ better together. And we do our fight against sin better together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to preach this portion of your word. And Lord, um, I want to pray right now for the specific people in this room who uh, they, they are aware in their hearts that uh, things are messy, that they have made mistakes that have, in many ways, um, not just caused them to have to walk in shame, but mistakes that sometimes end up having effects that hurt other people. Lord, some people today confronted again with the reality that they ought not be walking in the sin that Christ died to pay for on the cross. Lord, none of us want to live our lives in a way that is an affront to the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our church to get past kind of the safe, uh, comfortable, pleasant, 
cordiality of American suburban life and that we would embrace the the life-giving power of transparently and humbly helping each other pursue holiness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would let our church become full of groups and connections where people really do keep it real, help each other fight sin, and ultimately that we would help each other become wholehearted followers of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we proclaim these words together?
Jesus, Lord of Jesus is better. Um, make my heart believe. That statement in that song really hits me every time because so many times we come in here and sometimes we can say it. Yes, it's true. Jesus is better than anything in my life. Other times we're like, we're Christians. We know we should say it, but we're not quite there. So we, so we just sing it like a prayer, like, Lord, make my heart believe that. I, uh, I don't know how you come in here today. We've talked about fighting sin. Um, Jesus is better than any sinful pleasure that you are cherishing in your life. He's better. I was, uh, this past week I was listening to a, a pastor preach and he told this story about how he went out and uh, he was in his yard out in the country and he put his headphones on and he was singing this worship song and he's just got this moment with him and God out in his yard and he's singing, he's stomping his feet, his hands are raised and he's singing out loud out in his house and suddenly he notices behind him the FedEx truck has pulled up, right? And he goes and he gets his package from the FedEx truck guy and, and the guy's like, have a nice day and you know, just drives off. So this pastor goes in and he's kind of talking with his wife about it. Here's what his wife said to him. He says, you know, I don't know if that FedEx driver believes, but I bet he believes that you believe. Guys, let's live to show the world that Jesus is better than anything in the world. Right? Better than any sin. I want to leave you today with these words from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let's be the community, God's people, where we love each other and love Jesus so much that we create safe communities of family where we love and trust, gently, humbly, restoratively walking alongside one another where we can confess our sin and trust Jesus to change us. I hope you're in a group like that. If you're not, you'll have the opportunity to connect after next Sunday service. Until then, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.